It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the show I have as always two fantastic guests for you. First up, I'm talking to Connor Spacey and after the break, I travel to Shanna Golden in West Limerick to meet Mary and Helena Roach at the Old Stand. But before we hear from our guests this evening, a reminder that you can make contact with me here at the best possible taste by emailing me Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation and I'm also on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So a few weeks ago, I saw on Instagram that Connor Spacey, one of Ireland's foremost advocates for zero food waste, was in Dubai. I was intrigued and wanted to find out more. So I gave him a buzz last week to find out what he's been up to. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Connor, great to have you on the programme. Thanks a million for taking the time to talk to me. Any time I read something about zero waste, I always think about Connor Spacey because this is the area that you're really passionate about. Tell me how you got interested in it. Funny, funny enough, um, I suppose if I go back all the way back to my childhood, I mean, all, all your fond memories growing up were always about food. You know what I mean? It always had, whether it was eating ice cream, whether it was picking berries here in Wexford, whether it was helping my mammy in the kitchen, it was always got to do with food. And then what I didn't know then, what I saw later was when I went into my chosen career as a chef, um, that really opened up a whole new um, view on, on, on our food that I hadn't seen before. And that is waste. So obviously as a chef training in different hotels and restaurants and shows everything that I was working in um, at the beginning of, of, of my career waste was huge all types of waste and no one really paid attention to it and it never I was never comfortable with it obviously you know I was never comfortable seeing all this food going to waste be it food from the kitchen itself as in prep waste and so on and and then food coming back as in plate waste and there was all these different elements, you know, of, of, of food waste. It was, you know, being stored too long. So right, right across the whole chain of events, there was waste happening everywhere. And it opened my eyes to a food system, obviously, that I didn't see growing up. And as when you're a junior chef and you're starting out, there's kind of very little you can do about it because you're not in a decision-making role. You know what I mean? You're not, you can't really go to, to your uh, superiors or your head chefs or managers and say, you know, this is wrong and we should, they're not, you know, you're a young kid, you know, they're not going to listen to you. So I suppose as time progressed and um, I moved up in my career and got into more senior positions, then I was able to really make change. And in, the, and in that time, I was also looking as, as you know, why, why are we doing this? What is it about us? I'm going to say us, as in the human race. Like why, why is this happening? Um, and to me, it was always about, we just have this total disconnect to food. We don't, we don't value food. 
we don't, you know, it's very easy for us to disregard it, and, and you know, and 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 some in some cases very easy to throw food out rather than rethink outside the box and repurpose it and reuse it. Um, and the chefs are also told or or taught, you know, in classic ways that you have to use the best of everything. You have to use, you know, the inside of, of the vegetables got to look a certain way. Your meat has to be cut and presented in a certain way. And and all that means that you're you're trimming vegetables, trimming meat, fish, you know, you're you're discarding a lot of um the product itself. So yeah, I, I suppose when I think about it, I, I'm over 30 years as a chef and I suppose it was it seems it's a long time. I'm over 20 years really, you know, looking into sustainability before there was even a word sustainability you know and food waste and I think society wasn't always like that because if we go back to the last century when there was a value with food when food was scarce it wasn't as plentiful as what it was now and you know in terms of pricing as well it probably wasn't as cheap in relative terms so there there was more respect for it and using all parts of it and having that minimal waste and if you look at the retailers now would you hold them responsible for a lot of the, those issues this three for the price of two whenever we don't actually need two or three we just need one but the consumer is really sucked in by those offerings and and can't go buy them without getting the three items even though they don't need them yeah absolutely and i mean like large supermarket chains are are at fault not the only ones at fault but yes they are at fault and it's down to exactly what you said. It's down to their procurement systems and their competitiveness for a slice of the market. That means that they actually sell food below cost um, because they make up margins in, in, in other ways within the supermarket. So, and unbeknown to a lot of people, that cost is bared by the farmer and grower, not the supermarkets. Don't be fooled to think that the supermarkets are reducing their profit margins or taking a cut, you know, to give you extra carrots. I mean, that's not the case. Um, they use their huge amount of buying power to tie in farmers and growers into agreements whereby food, in a lot of cases, is sold into the supermarkets at below cost or just at cost or a very, very small margin for the farmer. And in a lot of cases, it's actually, if you think about it, like to me as a chef, and I meet a lot of farmers and growers um everywhere I go and they're the heroes behind it all they're the guys the people that do all the work you know all the growing seven days a week in all types of weather um and, and unsure I mean you, you can put in a lot of work at the beginning of the season not quite sure how that's going to pay off at the end of the season or when it's when it's ready to harvest um and they work so hard and they're least paid in the in the in the chain of it all and that is really down to what I call a broken food system and you're 100% like a lot, of, a lot of the answers are actually in the past. So if we look back to generations before us um, where food was respected, where food was connected to people and people used all of it. But then I think the big question is, why does the food system we have today exist? And if you go way back, and I'm talking back to just after the famine, even in Ireland, the food system that we have today was set up originally to be a positive thing. And what I mean by that is 
at that time, back in the 1800s, the population on the planet was less than half what it is now. You're only talking 4 billion, you know what I mean? 3 billion. Um, and at that time, they needed to make food accessible to everybody. And they, made, they needed to have nutritious food that was accessible to, accessible to everybody. And that led to monocrops. It led to huge subsidies from governments and so on to make fresh food available. That was fine back then when we had half the population on the planet. But what happened is that system never changed. So as our population grew and grew and grew to more than double what it was then, the system failed because we needed more land. We needed to cut down more forests. We needed food cheaper again. We needed to travel our food more around the globe. So the system never changed as our population exploded. And that's where the disconnect is as well. So we still have governments, not just here in Ireland, like right across the globe, subsidizing, subsidizing, you know, for single crops, subsidizing for what is not sustainable farming in ways because the system hasn't caught up with today's planet. And hence, that's why we're in the mess we're in. So I think for me, yes, I'm a chef, but I also look a lot at history. And I also look a lot at policies, you know, and talk to policymakers and look at governments and see, you know, ask the questions, why are you still doing something that was done 100, 100 years ago when you know it's wrong? You know, and, and we need a shift to change policies and, and, and at that level to make to make it more sustainable, if that makes sense. But then the tricky question as well also is, while you look at food now and how cheap it is, there's also the question of food does need to be accessible. So there are people in, you know, in, in, that can't afford proper nutritious food. So is it as simple as making food more expensive? And, and that, that's the question I always ask, because it's not necessarily about making it more expensive, because then people have less access to it. It's about looking at how we produce the food. And it's about looking and engaging with people to connect to every part of the food and understand where the food comes from and understand the labor, the water, the power, the energy, everything that's going to produce it. You know what I mean? To, to have a new respect for food um, rather than making it more expensive because then less and less people can afford it. So it's, it's not as... It's not as black and white. That makes sense. There's Absolutely. a lot of work needs to be done. And and I think when people think about food waste, one of the um, the benefits of not being guilty of doing that is about the money it can save for you. But it's not just about money. It's about all those other things that you're talking about there. And the environmental factors is a huge element of it. Huge. And I mean, even look today... Um, Friends of mine in, we see on the news in Greece, friends of mine, I was talking yesterday in Israel, um, covered in snow. They've never had it before. You know, up to two foot of snow in Israel. I mean, it's just, this is this is climate change happening right in front of us. And I know there's a lot of people think it's a bit of a, is it really happening? It is happening. You know, and I, I, I travel a lot and I see a lot of it firsthand. And I talk to a lot of farmers in different countries where it's really affecting them. And in a lot of cases, actually, it's, it's in slightly un less developed countries that are affected more from climate change, not from what they're doing. A lot of these farmers are almost carbon neutral. It's the actions that were taken in the more developed side of the world that is reacting with what they're doing. And so it's a bit like 
a bouncy castle scenario. If, if someone's standing on one side and I jump on this side, they're going to be pushed up into the air. So it's this effect that what we do here might necessarily affect us straight away, but it will elsewhere. And, and, and when we think about food, it's so important that we think about local food, but we also have to remember that food is global. Food will also always have to travel um, globally. And we need to think bigger than just local. We need to think of our actions locally and how that affects people globally. You know, without overwhelming people, like, you know, um, what needs to be done can be done. It can be achieved, but we just need to move quicker. And we need more governments and we need more policies around doing this. Um, and people to think smarter. And you mentioned travel there. And one of your most recent trips was to Dubai. And that was part of the Chef Manifesto initiative. Tell me about that and what's, what, what that's all about. Yeah, so so the Chef Manifesto started about four or five years ago. Time is a bit different now with COVID. We don't know where, where we are or what. We've missed two years, just gone. But um, yeah, so the Chef Manifesto started out and the idea behind it was that the United Nations have their 17 sustainable development goals um, and the target to reach these goals is 2030 which is not that far away you know you're talking eight years these goals by the way were signed by over 190 countries members of the UN including Ireland Ireland was one of the first countries um, many years ago to sign up to this and, and also helped in the drafting of the sustainable development goals with the UN. Um, and there was obviously the targets, you know, the time level left is getting less and less. And for different reasons, things aren't being done. So the idea was that chefs need to play a big role in this because as chefs, if you think about it, you know, regardless of whether you're working in a hotel, a restaurant, cafe, whatever, you have a purse of money. You're buying food to turn into dishes and so on. And with that should come a huge responsibility as to where and how you buy your food. And also, you can influence your customers into the ingredients you use on your plate. You can tell that narrative around a more sustainable plate of food, a more sustainable kitchen. Um, so what we did, as I said, five years ago, it was a bunch of us, there was, there were chefs, there's about eight or nine chefs got together in New York, eight or nine chefs got together in London. And the idea was to take the 17 sustainable development goals. And if you were to read those goals in their entirety, it's a big book because every goal has sub goals and it's huge. And there's no way any chef would sit down and read through this book twice the size of a Bible to, 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 to think about how we're going to be more sustainable. So the idea was to make it easier and, and, and make it um, bullet point steps that chefs can do to really run a more sustainable food system. So we come up with what we call eight thematic areas that chefs can engage with into their kitchens, work with, with their teams that makes a food system more sustainable. So that was launched probably about four years ago with the United Nations and so on. Um, and as many NGOs we work with on it. And now it's in over 100 countries. It's printed in English, French, German, Italian, um, some African, uh, India, and my trip to Dubai, we, we, we um, launched it in Arabic. So what we do with the Chefs Manifesto, we're a global network um, of chefs that really come together to have our voices 
heard. And it, it, it brings us into situations like Dubai um, where chefs can really talk, um, right, be at the table with policymakers, with, with governments, with um, people that need or, or want change. And we really talk about our food system from a chef's point of view and how chefs can make these changes. So before COVID, we would have done a lot of travel. Um, as you said, Dubai was two weeks ago. Yeah, just back a week. Um, that's the first big event, I suppose, since COVID. And what was going on there and still going on is, is Dubai are hosting an expo, um, which is run for six months. The week we were there um, was the UN week. So we, we went out, um, we explored lots of different food systems in Dubai, met fantastic farmers. Some stuff just blew my mind. We were in the desert in Abu Dhabi and there was like a 10 acre farm, like this oasis just in the middle of a desert that was growing organic, the most amazing organic vegetables and fruits over 60 different varieties. Um, biggest organic producer in, in, in the Emirates. Like who'd have thought that, you know, this can happen and, and the, speaking to the farmer and how he's connected to the to the sand which he's you know revitalizing that you know will eventually almost become a soil just through his work is just it's where science meets food which is very important while a lot of the answers are in the past it's taken those past um uh, work that we did and and engaging with new science and techniques to to make it more modern so the week in dubai we as i said we met a lot of people there was a, all the UN countries were there, so it was over 190 countries. Um, and I was there to represent Ireland and talk about, you know, the food system here in Ireland um, and the history. So I was talking a lot about our what I call our, our old food. Like I was talking about seaweeds and, and barley and, and the uses of hay and the history where seaweed was our fertilizer. You know, seaweed was what we use on our land and that connection and how it's lost. So on one of the nights we did a pop-up dinner. So there's five chefs from five different countries, obviously. Um, and each chef hosted their own table and had their own guests and did their own menu based on memories, based on their country, based on what connects them to food. So it, 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 it was a great event. And we had His Excellency, Her Excellency. We had the Deputy Secretary General of the UN. We had lots of big people that can make change and want to make change. And they really connected with us um, because each course that I did, I spoke about what that dish is, you know, why I'm asking them to eat it, you know, how, what a more sustainable plate of food can look like. Um, so it, it, it was huge. It was a huge honor to be out there um, and to, you know, showcase Ireland as we know it and, and, and love it. Like Ireland is the envy of a lot of countries in terms of our food. We have the most amazing food, the most amazing ingredients. Um, and to be able to showcase that on the other side of the world is, is amazing, you know. Um, and sometimes people will ask, you know, when we talk about um, climate change and, and CO2 emissions or carbon footprint and all, is it sustainable to fly across the other side of the world to, to showcase this? And to me, well, yes, it is, because the work I do, I can easily... Um, counteract the, 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 the carbon footprint that's produced for me to fly over there. And also, these discussions are so important globally to fix the global food system. And that's where I, 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 I work locally, but I, I think globally, and I think that's really, really important. 
for everybody. Yeah, and the education side is so important and the kitchens that you run, it is zero waste. And I think sometimes people might find it quite challenging to get their head around that because you mentioned vegetables there earlier on in the conversation and about us peeling the vegetables and you take those peelings and you dehydrate them and make them into like a flavoured salt. Yes, yeah. And there's a lot, there's a lot of techniques we use, again, a lot from the past, um, and modernise them. And you're right, the thing, I suppose, for us in our kitchens, as a company, we're growing. We've opened, even though COVID is happening, we've opened um, five new restaurants in the last two months. Um, three of them in the UK, one in London, two in Manchester, um, Dublin, Waterford as well. So we're expanding a lot and there's growing pains around that. And what I mean by that is that we have fantastic chefs joining us um, and this is all new for them. So my, my challenge now is to train these fantastic chefs who have absolutely brilliant cooking skills, but to train them to get into our thought process, which is very different from coming from other kitchens. You know, so it's actually in the next month, there's been training plans where it's showing new chefs, new people on our teams, what we strive for, what we work towards and how, what they were always taught, you know, like that, like you must peel this, it must get thrown away, at best it goes to compost or whatever it might be, how they have to really throw all that rule book out the window and use their skills and knowledge to rethink what we do within food space. So um, with growth comes comes pain, but it's a good thing, you know what I mean? So because the, the more we do, the more impact we're having here in Ireland and now in the UK on, on a food system. And showing, I mean, in Ireland, we, before COVID, and we'll get back to that now, thank God, um, we would produce over 2 million meals a year on the island of Ireland. So to do that sustainably, to me, is, is, is a footprint to show other people and share that, that it can be done in hotels, restaurants, cafes, no matter what, street trucks, no matter where you're cooking, it's still food. We're still sharing the same ingredients and we need to, you know, not work in our silos we need we need to share our ideas not everything works to so share the bad ones as well as the good ones to really get more people involved and in the, and in addition to the the food space outlets that you have that are open to the public you're also in a number of businesses running their their internal catering operation as well all over Ireland yeah. and beyond we work with great clients and across the country and the clients we work with are very like-minded Hence that partnership where we, we run their food programs. Um, but we in turn, we also, they all have goals around redu reduction of carbon footprint and where they, and sustainable plans and where they need to get to or want to get to. And us being their partners in the food is a big help for them to achieve those goals. Because no matter what they are, as in, you know, what they produce or what their business is, they all now have these goals because it's so important that their employees um, that, that are starting to work for them are very knowledgeable and want to work with companies that have a sustainable goal and with companies that, are, that want to reduce their carbon footprint and really look at everything that they're doing. So hence these partnerships with food space it, um, gives them the opportunity as well where we really deep dive into everything. You know, our food, where our food comes from, um, even food that's travelled, you know, how that's got to the country and, and, and how that was produced um, through to plastics, through to, you know, 
um, palm oils and ingredients like farm fish and avocados, what we don't use. Um, so food space, while we produce this food every day to thousands of people really across the country, um, it's also a platform where we really enjoy talking about what we're doing. I mean, we, we do internal marketing within our cafes in these places where people learn about, well, why don't you sell farm fish? Why don't you sell avocados? Why is there no, why did you remove palm oil? So it's not just us going, oh, we don't do that. We, you know, it's about sharing our findings, why we made the decision not to do it and influence people that when they go home, they think, well, actually, you know what? Avocados might be cool and trendy, but yeah, I get, I guess the impact we're having or I get the impact palm oil is having. And, you know, we, we, it's food for thought. You know, people go away thinking about um, what we're feeding them and why. And that to me is, 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 is half our job. You know, we have to produce great food every day and keep people happy. Um, but we also need to let them know why we're doing it in the way we do it. That makes sense. It's such a fascinating topic, and we could talk forever on it. If <laughs> if people want to find out more about you and, and what you're doing, where's the best place for them to connect? I suppose with you? They, they, they can go. There's two things. They can go to our website, um, which is food-space.com, and they'll see lots of things going on there. There's a blog that goes up every month about what's in season and recipes and so on. And then what I'm doing. I suppose my Instagram page is the best, which is spacey underscore chef. Um, and they'll see what I'm doing in terms of with food space, but also with the Chef's Manifesto and traveling and meeting people and, 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 and um, working on new ideas I share on there as well. And for chefs also, not, not even people that aren't chefs that are interested, they could go to chefsmanifesto.com and they'll see so much globally that's happening. Um, with fantastic, uh, fantastic family of chefs right across the globe. So it's um, it's great. I mean, we're, we, we've made a lot of progress. Yes, COVID has slowed things down like it has for everyone, but that doesn't mean, I mean, we're very um, proactive, but we're also believe that we can reach these goals. We're not, you know, we, we don't think we're doing it just for the sake of doing it. Um, they can be achieved and, and it's more about networking, talking and showing how it can be achieved that, that helps. Well, look, thanks a million for talking to me about it today, because as I said, it is such a fascinating subject. There is so much to talk about and so much to learn from it. And whenever we last met last year at Taste of Dublin, you had said to me about finding this article that had been published in the paper about you. And it was maybe 20 yes. or 30 years ago. And you yeah, said, it was a long time. Am I, I'm, I'm still, you know, banging that <laughs> drum, but you know, you're, you're the classic example of the early adopter and the thought leader. So congratulations to you on that and, you. and all the hard work that you do, because it is obviously paying off and these things are, you know, they all take time, unfortunately, but um, it's certainly going to be your legacy that you can look back on whenever you're an old, old man. <laughs> um, and, that's, that is. And, and that's always fantastic, I think. So um, thanks a million for, for talking to us. Thanks about so it. much. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, Connor Spacey was telling us all about 
his zero food waste policies. And if you're just tuning in now and you missed that, you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, did you know that you can drink and dine in a dome under the stars in West Limerick? Well, the old stand in Shanna Golden introduced this new culinary experience during COVID and I took a spin out to meet mother-daughter team Mary and Helena Roach to find out if it's going to stay. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Helena and Mary, thank you so much for having me here today in the dome. I'm sure the listeners can hear the bit of the echo from it. What a great addition to the West Limerick food scene here in Shanna Golden at the Old Stand. And before we find out a bit more about the domes, I'm going to come to you first, Mary. Tell me about the Old Stand and how it all started. Oh, about 15 years ago, it started. We decided to buy the corner house, it was called. So the family, family run business, we decided to renovate to bring I suppose a further service to the business, to the village. And it started from there. You are Shanna Golden, born and bred, so you oh. have a great passion for the village. Oh, huge, huge, huge passion for the village. Yes. And your own childhood growing up, your mother was a great baker and a great cook, and you've inherited that passion. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, she was a great baker, housekeeper. Oh, she just was a good, good, a good, a good woman, you know. And whenever you met your husband Tony, then you decided that you were going to start up a business together, and that was a, a filling station and that, a shop. That's right. That's right. The filling station and shop, two pumps outside our front door. Silly as it may sound now, but that's that's how we started out. And then one day Tony said to me, you know what? He said, if somebody comes for petrol, they might need tea and sugar. So he decided to put a porter cabin not too far away from the pumps. And we filled it up with groceries. And there it started. That's where the story started. We eventually got planning permission to build a shop. And we thought of different ways to encourage the customer to come to us. And I started my baking on a Saturday morning, my scones, apple tarts. People came and bought them and hence filled their baskets. So that was nearly, I suppose you could say, a little marketing technique. Well, this is the thing now with stories like yours. I, I just love them because they are always full of marketing, of innovation and entrepreneurial skills also because to decide to, to open a petrol station back then, it probably was a risk to take. Oh, it was a big risk to take. It was indeed. But at the time, my, my husband had a vision that, you know, there was no petrol to be got in the village after six o'clock Friday evening. So 
so I thought it'd be mad to be honest with you at the time. <laughs> we just started out in a green field, and uh, it turned out to be very good business. And you know, hopefully, and, and we can hear it is a very busy village. You know, with the traffic going back and forth, like it is. Yes, it is busy, yes. and there's a de- obviously a demand then for mm. a shop and a pub and a restaurant. Mm. And Helena, I'm going to come to you now and. You know, your mother has talked there about her own mother, and I can see from you working with your mum that you're obviously very close. Very close, yeah. And we're a very close knit family. We all worked from the minute we were at school. We came in and helped mum and dad with the uh, shop and the deli. She forgot about the deli. She used to do her breakfast rolls for all the trucks going by. We used to stop. She's well known for her the breakfast rolls. Um, the apple tarts and the brown bread. Um, and then we just, you know, it developed from that. And I think coming from a shop background myself, my parents being greengrocers, it instills a great work ethic in you. Yes, yes. That yeah. you just can't let go of no matter who you work for, what you're doing no, in life. I, you, can't, you can't get trained for that. It's either in you or not, you know, especially when you're... When it's in your family, you know, and you see your parents working until 10, 11 o'clock at night, and just, it's something, back then, it's now it's different, comparing to back then, you know. Yeah, they're all about work-life balance yes. now, which I have to remind <laughs> myself about every now and again, but I like work, and I love work, and I, mm-hmm. and I enjoy my work, so, you know, then, it's it's not a hardship to me or some people, mm-hmm. and it sounds like it's you're exactly the same. Yeah, it's just, there's a passion for it, it, it as you can hear in my mother's voice, uh, there's a passion for Shannon Golden, um, a fa- passion to give a service to uh, the locals, and also passers-by. Um, and the tourists in, in summertime. Because you're in a great location here in terms of the Shannon Estuary Way and yes. then obviously the, the Greenway in, in West Limerick as well. Yeah. And people are always looking for those really nice places to go and eat and you're a great supporter of local produce and Irish produce. Yes, we are. Uh, we, we have a number of uh, suppliers that are local. Um, we try to do as much as possible locally. Uh, and we support each other. Uh, both suppliers support us and we support them uh, in anything we do. The desserts are a great signature here because some of the recipes, Mary, the, the apple tart, for example, comes from your mother's recipe. That's right. <clears throat> and my grandmother before her. Yeah. And it's great to have that heritage being brought through on a menu. Yeah. Yes, I first introduced it to the chefs and, you know, <clears throat> while I have great respect for the chefs and they have great support to our business but I remember they they having a good laugh at me one day when I was saying to them about uh, rice pudding because that's what we used to have when we'd come home from school sour rice pudding and uh, sure it's, it's the best seller now wow and it's mm. such a nourishing warm yes. homely dish too yes and the scones and the 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 apple tart and we now sell them over in the shop 
again innovation Mary innovation, innovation. innovation. And, and whenever I was here a few weeks ago with the girls so to speak and I saw that there was bread and butter pudding on yes. the menu I'd said to the to Francesca and Freddie who were serving us you know can I get one of those to go because I knew my husband would be delighted to see a bread and butter pudding coming yes. in so you know you can have all your fancy dancy tiramisu's and all of that That's but you right. can't beat some of those real old school old-fashioned desserts well it's a hundred percent but that was one of the things you know my mother was very good at no waste no waste fresh bread every day no waste we had to buy the bread for the sandwiches for school and my brothers when they went out to work my father and all that you know but then there would always be a few slices left so the bread, bread and butter pudding was put on yes delicious and you were rared with all of those desserts then mm-hmm. Lena, although you have none of the signs of it it has to be said <laughs> none of the signs at all <laughs> if we talk about the clientele then mm-hmm. helena you know age profile for example do you get a lot of the locals who want that good sustenance you know the, the yes. meat and the two veg yes you do and we go from we have christenings here to birthday parties anything from one two three four all the way up to 1995 100th birthday parties we have here then you end up then we have um uh, we do an awful lot of uh, dinners for funerals we, we try and help people when there's a bereavement in the family we give them you know support on the day uh, and we'd also help them either in the morning to their own house um, Mary and Tony would always send breakfast to the family um, and just give them that extra support when they need it so it's very much a uh, family orientated business we have and that really comes back to to Mary your commitment and your passion for yeah. the community yes. here in Shanagolden yes oh very much so very much so yes my grandfathers both grandfathers I suppose in their own right they were little entrepreneurs but believe it or not my grandfather Moroni that was my mom's dad he actually was the courier for this building. He used to bring the barrels from the docks in Limerick or wherever they used to, the bags of flour, all that. And he had two sets of horses. There'd be one set put off, set up for the morning and the, the other set would be for the evening. So it's strange I, <laughs> that we're here. <laughs> It's steeped in history yeah, and steeped. family story, which is lovely. Is. Yeah, it is. It is, yeah. Talk to me about COVID and how COVID affected you here at the old stand. Well, it, we had to adjust mentally and physically. We really had to, from a seven-day week to meeting people, you know, Organising ourselves, organising staff, uh, to all of a sudden a shutdown. Overnight, really. And when you're used to working and being yes. on the go, that might be okay for a couple of days. Yes. But then it's kind of like, right, I'm over this now. I need, yeah. I need something to do. Yeah. So how did you manage that? Well, after a week, I began to get each feet all right. Uh, a week, which was lovely. It was like we were going on holiday. Everything was closed down and everything was... But then, 
began to get itchy feet, and believe it or not, halfway through I thought, pains and aches and this and that and the other, but do you know what? I thought, look, we've been through three recessions and we're going to get through this. And it was from that day onwards, I think, we started to be positive about it, that's right, Elena. We said, look, we have to start thinking, and with the support of Elena and the support of Sinead and the shop and our, all our family, really, we thought, look, let's put our heads together here and start thinking, what is it all about? So, really, what it was about, really, I suppose, you know, that we had to up our game, even though we always took pride without the halo now, on our cleanliness and uh, hygiene, and as I was saying to Sharon that I think it has brought it up a peg, you know, it's brought it up that step, you know, and uh, that kept us going mentally, you know, to make changes with our rosters, our menus, our chefs were brilliant, they adapted to, they adapted to the um, change in the menus, they worked with us, and I have to say customers. I have to say customers were very, very supportive, you know. You did a takeaway offering? Yes, yes. Not initially. Um, <clears throat> we didn't do it initially, but when the outside dining started up again, we then started doing it because we did Zoom calls, we did the usual with, with the team members here. Um, they were excellent, they were brilliant. They lifted us. At, at certain times and we lifted them at certain times which was quite good we have a good team really good team and they've stuck by us and um yeah so then when the, we did the outside dining uh we did the takeaway as well so that the chefs would have enough hours when they did come in it was productive for them because yeah, i think a lot of places decided not to do the takeaway at the start because they thought, sure, what's the point? This isn't going to last that long. But once it came to light that, yeah, this is going to last a bit longer than we thought it was going to, it, it wasn't so much about making money or turning no. over money. It was about having something to do and providing a service. Yes. So when we provided the service then for outside dining at the time and the takeaway, uh, we had our full staff back and then we decided to do Thursday to Sunday uh, so that they would have the chefs and the, the, the bar staff and the service staff would have three days solid off. Um, I suppose it gave us like that an idea that, you know, we have to have work-life balance. And we found that Thursday to Sunday suited everybody um, and we're sticking with that at the moment. For the moment, anyway. Yeah, that's great. And look, we have to talk about the domes. So then, initially, we <clears throat> we were going to bring the domes much earlier than we did. But initially, um, when the restrictions came in, it was for inside. When we were dining inside, it was for people that were vaccinated only. So we were saying, well, how could we not have something for somebody that isn't vaccinated for whatever reason? personal reason or medical reason. Um, so we had two choices, either seat them outside, and with our Irish weather, it's not very promising. Uh, and where we are based, it's down in, in a hill, so at the end of a hill, so that the wind wouldn't be 
it would be quite breezy. So we decided we'd try the domes, and we did. We started with two domes, and we put them together, put them out in the front of the building. And whenever you say you put them together, did you have to construct this? It's like yes. little hexagons, um, very them, strong plastic. Every one of them were hand put together by my brother and brother Liam and Chris and my dad, Tony. And was it like an IKEA building experience yes. for this? Yes. Did it all go very it smoothly? It was a jigsaw. It was pure jigsaw. <laughs> yes. It was like a jigsaw. Yeah, it was like a jigsaw. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it did run smoothly, I have to admit. You know, it was very well... Um, document and how to do it and yeah it was quite but it was tedious yeah it was tedious and just describe the dome to somebody that maybe hasn't seen it in real life like we're sitting in it now as yeah. I said at the start of our, our of our chat and it's like a composite plastic it's it's, it's a, very it's sturdy perspex. it's okay it's, it's quite um, sturdy uh, and it's a dome feature so it's it's like a bubble or like an igloo, igloo. Yeah, yeah like an igloo like an yeah. igloo yeah. um so the diners inside is maximum six people they can take up to eight but we found six would be you know comfortable, comfortable. especially from people bringing in food and drink um for six people then we would have dyson heaters so it's very very comfortable um warm uh but yet you're outside so it's clear so you can see the sky at night um, and uh, then we have your own speaker uh, with your Bluetooth for your whatever songs or music you compare it to your phone and then uh, your own light and your own personal uh, waiter and the doorbell is so doorbell, important yes. that you're given a doorbell so you can ring them whenever so, you need them to yes, come and yeah. bring you more drinks or yeah. clear the table or whatever. So basically that you're not interrupted when you're having a conversation with your party that you're with. Um, you, te- you determine when you need, you know, when you want something. And whenever the local community saw that you were doing these, what was the response? <laughs> they, were, they were in shock. <laughs> they were trying to figure out what did we land in front of the building. There was good feedback. Yeah, uh, good feedback. Um, initially, you know, we said that anybody could go in, a party of six could go in, whether they'd be vaccinated or not. Uh, which helped because we did have a lot of people for medical reasons couldn't go in the door. Um, so we had that facility for them and we felt it was warm, clean and spacious for them. Because the Dyson aren't just heaters, they're kind of air purifiers yeah, as well. Yeah, they're air filters as well. Yeah. So if it gets too hot in here, it automatically kicks in itself to a certain temperature. So it makes sure that the air is, is filtered. And are the domes here to stay? Oh, I think so. I think so, yeah. Yes. And maybe a few more out the you'll, back. You'll never know. Yeah, yes. a few more out the back. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, the, the, how I describe the dome now, and oh, I'm stepping on my journey, I would say, but it's, I think it's the best experience that anyone could have of watch the world go by. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You know why you have the saying, oh, I sat and watched the world go by, but you watched the world go by in one of these, but you're sheltered, ventilated, heated, music if you want, and 
I find that, you know, people talk about meditation, which I'm a great believer of. But you don't even have to go into the meditation stage if you're in one of these domes. Because if you notice, you might, if you were sitting out here without this, you mightn't hear the sound of the, of the traffic. And the birds are beautiful. If you hear the birds, will say, you know what, I was here one morning, now I could hear the birds. It highlights that, I think. It does, yeah. Doesn't right. it? Did you find that? I'm nearly you? into a trance now, merely yeah. just listening to you um, say all of that about the meditation and hearing the birds and everything. Yeah, it's fabulous. It, it, you know, and the thing that you are, <clears throat> you can also dine in it, have a drink in it. You know, you can hop in and out of conversation if you want. As you can see, we're having a conversation, but you can still hear the traffic. Absolutely, yeah. Where is that I, you're hearing? I this, got a know? very good feedback from a family, a uh, family of six, two adults and four kids. The weekend, the, the mother of the family said to me, it's the first time that we had a conversation, that everybody actually sat at the table and had a conversation. No phones, no TV, no distraction. So I'm delighted to hear that. Well, hopefully there'll be lots of families listening tonight and it might encourage them to, to come and book. What's the best way to do that, Helena? If you go on our website, www.oldstandshannagolden.ie and there's a link to Dine at Dome. And you can actually, it's open from Thursday to Sunday. Uh, lunch, uh, there's certain seatings and it's maximum six people. Fantastic. Well, listen, lovely to meet you both today, ladies. Best of luck with it and um, continued success. Thank you. Thank you so much, Thank you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was in an outdoor dining dome talking to mother-daughter team Mary and Helena Roach at the Old Stand in Shanna Golden and earlier on in the programme we heard all about zero food waste from Connor Spacey. If you're just tuning in now and you've missed any of that you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts are available to listen to wherever you normally get your podcasts as well as SharonNoonan.com, iTunes and the podcast app. And that brings us to the end of the programme tonight. Thanks for listening and to my guests Connor Spacey and Mary and Helena Roach. I'll be back next week so until then, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!